This afternoon I preach you the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 42, dealing with the Eighth Commandment, and the Eighth Commandment is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall not steal. Lord's Day 42, that's page 557. Here the church confesses, What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, but also such wicked schemes and devices as false weights and measures, deceptive merchandising, counterfeit money, and usury. We must not defraud our neighbor in any way, whether by force or by show of right. In addition, God forbids all greed and all abuse or squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? I must promote my neighbor's good wherever I can and may, deal with him as I would like others to deal with me, and work faithfully so that I may be able to give to those in need. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as we think about our material possessions and the Eighth Commandment, we need to learn and think about and remember two important principles that many of us have been taught by our parents as we sat around the dinner table. The first principle is generosity. And so your parents tell you that when you are scooping a food out of the pan, that you need to notice which plates are empty, which plates around you are empty, and then you are to serve others who need it before you serve yourself. The second principle is contentment. And this comes after the server has given the food and the parent tells the child to keep your eyes on your own plate. Since you have a plate full of delicious food. You don't need to look around for more. And if you do, the unfairness of life that you will see when your brother maybe has an extra meatball, more meatballs than you do, or a little more ice cream, that unfairness of of life can actually cause you to become unsatisfied because of that inner selfish envy that we struggle with. And our parents encourage these two virtues of generosity and contentment because the Lord teaches that to us in the Eighth Commandment. And we can see that especially in the two readings that we had in in 2 Corinthians 8 that was focused on generosity and 1 Timothy 6 focused on contentment. In these places, God reveals to everyone that when we believe in Jesus Christ, We already have all that we need to be joyful and content for all eternity. That's the starting point. The peace and the comfort and the joy and that praise from men that so many people are vainly seeking in money and in cars or houses or businesses or or vacations. Well, the Bible says that will not be found in your earthly temporary possessions because it is only found in Jesus Christ. 
The eighth commandment tells us to avoid the idolatry of money, to cut the emotional ties that, that often bind us to our material possessions, which are actually nothing more than a bonus that we have received in this life. The eighth commandment tells us to, to cut the ties, to emotional ties to our material possessions so that we can see and celebrate what we have in Jesus Christ. When we start with our riches in Christ and in his everlasting spiritual kingdom, we will have the proper perspective with respect to our material blessings. And I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme. With eternal riches in Christ, God's children can be very generous. We'll see our riches, our response, and our responsibility. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 9, the Lord Jesus, revealing himself to the church, he, he tells us that a person can be rich in Christ even if they are poor. That means you can be rich in Christ even if you live in a, in a very small rented house and, and just make enough money for food. And, and that's really the story of, of the majority of people in the world. And the Holy Spirit explains this in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. You can, maybe you have that in front of you. You can read that there. It says in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. If you want to know what we mean by the riches in Christ, the riches to which we are called, we need to see the riches that Christ had before he became poor. And when we look at that, we see that the riches he had were in the glory of heaven, when he had peace with God, when he had everything he needed, he has joy, and lived in a perfect and eternal relationship with his Father. This heavenly peace, this heavenly joy had already been poured out upon the earth at one time when God created the heavens and the earth, when he formed and established a, a special relationship with man and woman that he had created and set in the garden. In the beginning, and we can see that in the first chapters of Genesis, in the beginning, God had made the man and the woman to be very rich, both spiritually as well as materially. Like we saw in the Psalm 24, it was on the screen as we walked in here that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Mankind was, was given it all to be stewards, joyfully care for the universe that was entrusted to them. Now if you imagine the situation in paradise, you can see that there would be no need to steal. There would be no need to defraud your neighbor in any way, for it would be similar to the time of Solomon when we read in Scripture that he made silver as common as stones. Be like the picture we have of the new heavens and the new earth where the streets are, are even paved with gold. And when silver and gold are everywhere, when there is an abundance of food that is available to all, 
Well, the only desire that you have is to use your resources to the glory of God and for the peace and well-being of your neighbor. The riches that Christ had with God, the riches that Adam and Eve experienced in paradise. It's how God made the world, how he made us. So then the question is, how did the devil convince Adam and Eve that they needed more? The Bible tells us that the devil offered the one thing that God had not given Adam and Eve because it was so bad. He had not given them knowledge of sin and suffering. So he offered it to Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve believed the lie that they could be like God. In their pride, they could see firsthand what evil looks like. And as their riches of peace and love and contentment crumbled into dust and was replaced with unkindness and blaming and shame and fear and envy and greed and sadness and death, they realized what had been done. They had become poor. They had become poor in the deepest of ways because they were no longer at peace with their Father in heaven. And that poverty could not be overcome with anything. Not even a big house or a big family could take away that emptiness. And it's into this context of spiritual poverty and separation from God that we see the gospel of Jesus Christ. For God did not forget his little poor rebellious creatures, but he reached down to them and he promised them new life in his son, Jesus Christ, who would become poor. God rescued them from the serpent. He he rescued them from being assimilated with the rest of the world and, and drowned in the flood. He rescued his children from slavery in Egypt. He redeemed their lives. He set them in a promised land. He gave them feasts and ceremonies that pointed to the riches in Christ. He placed them in a land flowing with milk and honey and said, your Savior Jesus Christ is coming. You have spiritual riches in him. And that's what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. The gospel message is that for our sakes, our Lord Jesus Christ, in his love for us, he left the glory of heaven and he became poor with us, suffering as a sin offering under the wrath of God so that he could rescue us from sin and the punishment that we deserve and he could give us the heavenly riches of forgiveness of peace with God, of eternal life. And then we can see again those streets paved with gold. He also points to to material, complete material satisfaction. The poverty of our Lord Jesus Christ was the poverty of suffering under the anger of God's wrath all the days of his life because of our sins. It was the poverty of being mocked and doubted, and hated, and punished by God for sins that he had never committed. It was the the poverty of the suffering and the agony of hell, of calling out to his Father in heaven and never receiving an answer so that the the door to the the glory of heaven, that that riches of heaven was, was shut to him 
when he was on the cross, the Holy Spirit tells us that he became poor like we had become for your sakes so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus' suffering was not meaningless, but it was a spiritual poverty that atoned for our sins. He died for our sakes so that we don't have to experience that poverty of, of being separate from God anymore without hope. The gospel message behind the Eighth Commandment is that Christ became poor so that we could become rich. And for us to be rich means to be restored to favor with God so that we can once again fulfill the mandate that he had given to us in paradise and creation to glorify God as redeemed citizens of his kingdom by developing his culture, by, by using our gifts for his glory. The gift of forgiveness of sins and peace with God and the guarantee of everlasting life in a place where there are no more tears. That is the, the most amazing gift of anything. It's a wealth that, that outshines any temporary economic situation we may be in. Although we may have let the worries concerning our payments, our house payments and school payments and car payments take away our, our joy, God tells us to take our eyes off the money and to look to his son first of all. Every rebel who repents and believes in Jesus Christ is, is brought back into the family of God, is reinstated as a vice king, a vice queen of everything. We are entrusted with it all in Jesus Christ. We are heirs of the kingdom of God. We see that in our second point that leads us to respond with thankfulness. The riches that we have received in Christ are something that we are, are given to us as a gracious gift of God. And our response to our new master, Jesus Christ, is actually a part of the experience of the gift. It makes the gift so positive. A Christian who has truly been transformed by the Holy Spirit will be able to see everything that he has as a gift of the grace of God and say with Paul in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7, what do I have that I have not received? And if I received it, how could I ever boast as though it was not given to me by God? And so we are humbled by the grace of of God to us in Jesus Christ. And we recognize right away how out of place it is to think that God owes us anything at all, much less material possessions. And as we grow up, the contentment that our parents fostered in our hearts by telling us to look at our own plates, it grows deeper and deeper as we realize what we really deserve. We have heavenly riches in Christ that gives us peace in our hearts and peace with God. As long as we are alive, brothers and sisters, we are never in need. And you see 
Paul write about that in Philippians 4, verse 11, being content in, in all situations. Like we read in 1 Timothy 6, verse 7, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. Psalm 49 made that very clear. The Holy Spirit tells us that godliness with contentment is great gain. And together with the Eighth Commandment, we are reminded once again to start with an understanding of what you have in Jesus Christ and then to cut the emotional ties to material wealth. The riches we have in Christ make any extra wealth that we have in our hand lose that shiny, attractive gleam. It looks like nothing more than, than like leftover food that needs to be shared before it goes bad, before the rust and the moth take it away. We change our attitude as a response to our riches in Christ. And the Eighth Commandment tells us to keep ourselves from the love of money and to be content with what we have because God has said that he will never forsake us. That's Hebrews 13, verse 5. When we are humble, we can also trust that God will hear our prayer to give us this day our daily bread. And when this is understood, there is no longer any need for all those things that don't fit with a content and a full heart. The starting point of the Eighth Commandment is what we already have and not what we cannot have. And when you know, when you know, brothers and sisters, that your plate has enough on it, then the temptations of the commercials and the adver advertisements on TV, they begin to fade away. That also means that when you have that temptation to, to take something that is not your own, whether by not paying all your taxes or being dishonest in your sales or, or sneaking things from your classmates, a wise Christian will stop and will think about the riches that they have in Jesus Christ. Is a little extra money now, or even a lot of extra money falsely earned, is it really worth more than the eternal glory of heaven? When we recognize our riches in Christ, our whole attitude about the purpose of our work, our life, and, and even money, it, it becomes transformed because we are filled with this indescribable peace concerning the future. Even if the basic necessities are truly basic and often lacking, and once again, if you travel around in the world, you see how many people live that basically with just the basic needs. If that is all that the Lord has in store, we are still rich. And we can say with Paul, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Christians can say that after we have what we need to survive, and Paul recognizes that, he says, if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Once we have the, those food and clothing, the basic needs, we recognize that everything else is, is just a bonus to be used to promote the glory of God's name. 
When we have that perspective, that helps us to stop thinking, being tempted by the newest and the best all the time. We start thinking about the responsibility that comes with the extra that God gives to us. For the Eighth Commandment speaks to us about the proper management of what God has temporarily entrusted to us until we enter into eternal glory in heaven with God. Paul says it very clearly, and this is in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. He says, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. We are enriched and it comes with a responsibility. Our thanksgiving to God for our riches in Christ is visible in our peace. It's visible in our contentment, in our joy, in our humility. It's also visible in our desire to work so that through our generosity, others can experience the generosity that God showed to us in Christ Jesus. Paul warns the church not to be idle. He says, whoever does not work should not eat. In a family, this means that everybody has to contribute their gifts and talents to find ways to supply the necessary food and shelter. We see then that contentment, joy with what you have, is not the same as as laziness. But it is learning to accept and recognize your limits as you strive for excellence in your studies and your work, both within and outside of the home. You squander God's gifts if you waste your time or neglect to use your healthy body in whatever opportunity the Lord gives to you. Our responsibility is so clear that the catechism at the very end of the second answer, answer 111, is quoting Ephesians 4 verse 28. There the responsibility comes very clear when the Holy Spirit says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. It's striking that in this verse, stealing is equated with not doing honest work with your own hands. Honest work means using honest weights and measures, telling the truth about any products you are selling, charging a fair value for your labor, giving a fair wage to those who labor under you. But overall, and over all these things, honest work is that work that seeks to give glory to God with all that you have and not just working to get richer. Paul also says that if we are not working in order to share with those who are in need, that's the second part of Ephesians 4 verse 28. If you're not working to share with those who are in need, then we are stealing too. Although everything, everything anyone has is given to them by God so that we can be content with the basics of food and shelter, We notice in this life that God gives some people more than others. He tells them to use it for the kingdom of God. If we return to the dinner table, the food analogy, some of us are like the children who are given pots with extra food 
and are told to share it with others. Children who would be stealing if they kept it all for themselves and did not look for the empty plates that needed it. So who do we need to look out for? Who are those in need besides those who, like Jesus and like Paul and like the the priests and Levites in the Old Testament, are, are dedicated to the ministry and who rely on the support of those whom they are serving? Who are those in need? Well, we see as we look around, there are several categories of needs in the world that believers seek to help. There are the absolute poor, usually those who have lost everything, Due to natural disasters, wars, social oppression, you can think of, of some areas in India. It's just absolute need, slums in a big city. And then there are those who are poor in need because they cannot work due to special physical needs, to mental illness, to age, even a history of drug and alcohol abuse. There are those who have enough to pay rent for a roof over their heads, who are able to buy enough food and clothing for themselves, but do not have enough to to give to others, to help others in diaconal work to support their minister. That's like the the church in Brazil, in Imbida Beta, that the deacons at our congregation uh, hopes to support, is supporting. There are those who have fallen into hard times because of sin, because of pride, because of mismanagement. And then there are those who think they are poor, even though they have food and drink and shelter and often even a car, but really are only poorer than those who are around them. It's called relative poverty. You see that it is not easy to determine need and how to help in every situation, but when the Holy Spirit tells us not to steal, but to work so that we can give to those in need, those are the questions that we need to ask. He is urging us to be perceptive, to look for empty plates, to recognize our responsibility to everyone whom the Lord sets on our paths. And although not everyone in Each of these situations is best served with just some money in their hand. There's no doubt, brothers and sisters, that everyone needs the the comfort and the help and the training and the encouragement. And what a blessing it is to have deacons who are ordained to administer the gifts. You could see already when in Acts 6 when there was a question about the widows, which widows should receive when that the Lord ordained an office to, to look at the situation closer. And we have that office today as well to, to guide us in our giving. And what a blessing it is when God's people obey the eighth commandment not to steal and actively support the work of the deacons with their financial gifts and other talents so that even as children already putting their their money in in the collection bag, they can learn the importance of not clinging to money, but really seeking to be generous. As believers enriched by Jesus Christ, we support all who are in need with our prayers, but also with our financial offerings. The offerings in church, the offering in church does not earn us favor with God 
or with the consistory. It isn't a sign that we support council's decisions or not. It isn't even given just so that we can avoid being called a thief. But that offering is something that, that comes from a renewed heart, a heart that is focused on our riches in Jesus Christ, a heart that is overflowing with joy, seeking, like the church Macedonia that we read about in Corinthians, to have the opportunity to share what we have received. And so our offerings, brothers and sisters, and we teach our children this too, our offerings are an expression of our trust in God. They are an expression of our joy in Jesus Christ. It is an expression of, of our understanding that everything that we have has been given to us by God and is to be used for his glory. God has given many of us what we need to live comfortably. He has given most of us extra, which is to be used for his kingdom, in support of the ministry of the gospel and the poor, word and deed. And when we see our riches in Christ, we are eager to share generously with others. And that is the great transformation in our hearts that the Eighth Commandment defends and preserves when it tells us you don't need to be greedy for more because you have eternal riches in Christ and a treasure in heaven that moth and rust cannot destroy. You don't need to hurt your neighbor by taking from what God has given to him and declaring it as your own. You don't need to steal from the money that God has given to you so that you can live in extravagance while our neighbor is starving for the word or even for food. God tells us not to steal so that our eyes are lifted up to Jesus Christ who gave us an eternal abundance so that we, we look to him for that peace and that joy and that contentment, the spiritual heavenly riches. And when we see him, brothers and sisters, our eyes are open. And instead of looking with jealousy and greed at the plates around us that have a little more than we do, we begin to see the plates around us that have nothing that we, and we desire to be generous. And it is our prayer, even as we, we hear the proclamation of the Eighth Commandment, that God will use each one of us as instruments in this world so that those around us may see and know Christ as Savior of their souls, but also as the merciful deacon to their bodies. May each one of us use our gifts and be instruments in God's hands to accomplish this. Amen.